Luke chapter 16 is where we will continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. And much of what Jesus talks about in his ministry, as we've already encountered, is money. Uh, Back in chapter 12 of Luke was one of the other major occurrences of where Jesus talks about money and the parable of the rich fool. Verse 21 of chapter 12 of Luke, Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Basically, God is saying, I can take away the things that you have. And even though you assume that you have built up all this wealth for yourself, whose wealth is it really? And what have you done with the wealth that has been given to you? That's a lot of what we have here in our uh, first 13 verses of chapter 16, especially. And so this morning, I pray that we are able to see that uh, we need to handle our possessions in light of the future. Go ahead and read with me Luke chapter 16, verses, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And we'll talk about that. Verse 1 says, He also said to, to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a very difficult saying. And I pray that If you've heard this before, maybe you've read through this story and you've tried to figure out what in the world is happening here. I think this provides us a good opportunity where it's not necessarily in this parable something that we can simply and easily understand, but it's something that may take us a little bit uh, of study and time to really get at what is being taught to us, what is happening here. 
And so again, I, I think one of the main ideas that we can pull from this is that we are to handle our possessions in light of the future. It's what the dishonest manager does. It's what Jesus encourages us to do in his commentary of the parable. Now, make sure we understand where this is coming from, what has led us to this point here where Luke records this parable to us. As we start in verse 1, it says, he also said to, to the disciples. And so Luke gives us this clear understanding that This is not an isolated parable, but Luke intends for us to understand this parable in light of what has just been recorded for us, at least in chapter 15. In chapter 15, as we looked at last week, there are parables of things being lost and those same things being found. And so, what we saw last week was that God delights in the lost being found and that we too should delight in what God delights in, that we should be looking toward the things that God rejoices in and that we should also rejoice in those things. If we are not rejoicing in the same things that God is rejoicing in, then it should cause us to pause and to question whether or not we are following God, whether or not we understand God's intentions Because if we are not rejoicing in the same things that God rejoices in, then our priorities are askew. And if our priorities are askew, then perhaps the foundation upon which we're standing is not right. And so in light of that, in light of God delighting in the lost being found, God delighting in us doing whatever we can, whatever means are available to us to see that the lost are given an opportunity to be found. How does this relate to our parable here in chapter 16? Well, one of the first things that I think we should see, having gone through our context, is maybe ask the question, how have we seen God's design unfolding? What really are God's intentions? We just mentioned from chapter 15, one of God's intentions is to rejoice in seeking and saving the lost. Another one that we saw earlier in chapters 13 and 14 is that one of God's intentions is to invite the humble and the repentant into his kingdom. And so as we think upon those things, if we think of those as being God's design and we think of how we are to handle our possessions, how can we faithfully exercise our stewardship of the possessions that have been entrusted to us? One of the things that we see in this parable is that we must see our stewardship as a stewardship. We must see our possessions, when we're talking about how to handle them, We must see it as a stewardship. These things are not our own, but we have been entrusted. Read verses 10 through 12, kind of get to the end of Jesus' commentary on the parable, and we'll see some of the purposes why he gives us the parable. Verse 10 through 12. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. 
If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? See how Jesus says, who will entrust to you the true riches? And the idea, the implication is that we have been entrusted with unrighteous wealth. We have been entrusted with wealth that remains only here on earth. But who will entrust to us the true riches, the things that last? Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So again, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, this is a stewardship. One of the things that we have to see if we are to really do what we can to handle our possessions in light of the future, and we must see that these possessions are not really our own. They have been entrusted to us as a stewardship. Again, we can go back to the beginning of our parable in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So whose possessions are they? Are they the managers or are they the rich man's? They're the rich man's. Likewise, we should see ourselves not as the rich man, but as the steward of the rich man's possessions. And this man is going to have to give an account for how he has handled his master's possessions. We manage not what is our own, but we manage what is God's. And that's why this parable is about a manager. The possessions are not his own. He is a steward. And as a steward, he must give an account for how he's handled it. So one of the first things that we have to see is that we are stewards, that the possessions that we have are not our own. They are God's. The second thing we've got to see is that we must be shrewd. We must be wise. We must be prudent. The manager is not commended for his dishonesty. He is simply seen as dishonest. And he's not seen as dishonest until verse 8, actually. The master, in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager. But that's the first time that we see that this manager is told to us as being dishonest. We understand from the first few verses, from verses 1 and 2, that this man has not been the best steward, but he's not shown as being dishonest until verse 8. So it's really his actions that he takes that we see that in some way or another make him dishonest. See, he's saying to the debtors that owe his master money, so to speak. He's saying, look, instead of owing 100 bucks, just take your bill and say you only owe 50. Instead of owing 100 bucks, say that you really only owe 80. And so, in some regard, he's taking money away from his manager, even after the fact that he's already shown himself to not be a great handler of the manager's resources, of the manager's money. But what he is doing is he is ensuring himself a future Look at verse 4, or the end of verse 3. I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, this manager is thinking toward the future, and he's saying, look, this job that I have right now is coming to an end, because the owner knows that I haven't, dealt with him well. I haven't dealt with his things well. 
and so I don't have a job here anymore. Once I give an account for all that I have done, he'll see that I've fallen short and I'm going to be out on the street. And so knowing that I'm going to be out on the street, what can I do at this point to ensure that I've got a good future, that I've got a job lined up whenever I lose this one? And so this is why he does these things with the master's debtors, so that he can put himself in a position where these debtors, these other managers of this other property, might receive him into their house, which means might give him a job, might give him an opportunity to make a living, so that he won't be kicked out on the street and be left on the street. He doesn't want to beg. He doesn't want to work hard labor to earn his keep. He wants to keep doing a similar thing as to what he's been doing. And so what can he do to make sure that he doesn't have to beg and that he doesn't have to work hard? Well, he's crafty. He's wise. He's prudent. He uses the position that he still is in to look toward the future. He isn't just seeing the immediate. He is seeing the immediate, but he's not just seeing the immediate. He's seeing what is to come, and he's preparing. What we see is that our service and our stewardship is not just to the here and now. It's not just to money itself. Our service is to the God whose money it is and to what he intends to accomplish with that money. If our service is to God, then we should be handling His possessions for His purposes. See, we don't want to be called dishonest whenever our Master sees the things that we have done. But we do want to be seen as shrewd because it shows that we have an eye toward not just the here and now, but towards what is to come. And how can we be a steward, how can we be a wise steward of what has been entrusted to us? Well, it goes back to what we've already said. What does God delight in? What would God say, you have been wise, and now you have dealt with this? Well, it's seeing that God's purposes, the purposes that God delights in, are seeking and saving the lost. The purposes that God delights in are inviting the humble and repentant into God's kingdom. And what are, what's one of the ways in which God himself has shown this? What's one of the ways in which God himself has shown to be a wise manager of his own resources? I think we can take a lesson from the fact that God himself has sent his son. He sent his son to proclaim the truth. He sent His Son to this earth to proclaim the gospel, to invite us into believing the truth. He sent His Son to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many, to call us to repentance. He sent His Son to die on our behalf, that our sins and our failures would not keep us from entering His perfect and His righteous kingdom. God has done this. God has been a good steward of what is available to Him by giving of Himself By offering us, then, forgiveness and peace and wholeness and eternal purpose. When we repent of our sins and when we turn to Jesus in faith and in trust, God has shown how he manages 
his things. How he manages his own son. How he sends him to live and to die for his people. God has shown us wisdom through Christ's own teachings, through parables like this. He gives opportunity for us to believe, to recognize. He gives us an opportunity to show ourselves whether or not we've been faithful. This manager would not be considered faithful. He'd be not he'd not be considered faithful to the manager's wishes. I mean to the owner's wishes, to the rich man's wishes. Um, but the rich man is commending him because he has shown himself again not to just be so concerned about whether or not he can cook the books to make it look good in the here and now, but to recognize that he has failed And even though he has failed, he still can do something about what is to come. We've sinned. We have failed God miserably. We have been called to steward the possessions and resources that God has given to us, and we have failed. We failed as individuals. We failed as a people together. And so when it comes time for us to give an account... Are we trusting in the perfection that Christ brings or are we trying to do what we can to make what we've done look good? No, we recognize that we can't change the past. We can't change what has already happened. But what we can do is plan for the future. What we can do is admit our failures, admit how we have fallen short, and move forward from that. But how do we move forward from that? Well, we repent. We recognize that we need a show of forgiveness, that we need someone to accept us into our future homes, wherever that might be. Where where is our future home going to be? Because if all we have to stand on is how we have unfaithfully managed God's resources and God's expectations and God's commands then where we will find ourselves is not being a part of God's kingdom. But when we repent, when we trust Him, when we trust what Christ has done for us on our behalf, we then can begin to steward in a wise way, in a faithful way, the possessions that God has given to us. And that is... Our last point, that faithfulness. Verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. You see, the steward in our story was dishonest in a little and he got caught. So he went dishonest full scale because he had no other good options whenever he was looking at the future. We ourselves are now given as disciples. Remember, this parable is given to disciples. Verse 1, he also said to the disciples. He's saying to people who are following after him, be faithful 
and what God has given to you. Recognize that you are a steward. Be wise and know God's intentions for what he has given to you. And show yourself then to be faithful. Know that we are not saved because of our faithfulness. We are not saved because of our good stewardship. Our faithfulness in our stewardship is an external picture of the internal status of our hearts. Notice how Jesus brings the matter back to our hearts. Verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Your service depends on where your heart is at. Where's your heart at? God fully knows our hearts, and only God can fully change our hearts. You can make it look like your stewardship and your actions are faithful evidences of your trusting God, but without a heart devoted to God, you're going to fall short. Don't give your money to the poor so that God will accept you. Give your money to the poor because God has accepted you. When we're called to be stewards, to be wise stewards, to be faithful wise stewards of the possessions that God has entrusted to us, however little or great, we must see this not as what will prove to God whether or not we deserve to be accepted by Him. It will instead show how we understand the salvation that we have or have not received. If we have received salvation from God, then it will mean that how we handle our resources, our possessions, are different than how we have before. It will mean that it comes from a heart that desires the things that God desires. That this seeking and saving of the lost becomes our desire and not just God's. If you have received God's offer of salvation through Christ, then you will handle your possessions in light of eternal life. We will see not just what we can do in the here and now, but we can see how the here and now helps to determine the future for other people. How can we use our resources so that when we spend our money, when we decide whether or not to rent a building, that when we figure out whether or not we should serve these people in this way or not, how can we do that so that others might come to know Christ, so that we can see ourselves as not just stewards who have no cause, but stewards with a cause. The things of this earth will fade away, but right now they can be used to seek and save the lost. So handle your possessions in light of your eternal future, and handle your possessions in light of someone else's eternal future. I think this is much of what we can learn from a parable like this. 
think we can also learn much when we give the Spirit time to allow us to search our own hearts and whether or not we are serving God or whether we are serving money, whether we are serving the God who gives us the possessions or whether we are serving the possessions. Jesus talks much about money in the Gospels, in his ministry. We find it over and over again. We'll see it again. How do people respond? We'll look at the end of chapter 16 next week. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. How has the rich man handled his money? What ends up coming of the rich man? What ends up coming of the poor man who sits at his gates begging for food? We're not saved because we tithe to the church. We're not saved because we give money to the poor. But if we've truly understood God's desires for us as his stewards, as people who recognize our stewardship, then we'll spend our money in a way that honors what he delights in and not just for our own ends. I pray that if we are serving money, that we would recognize it, that God would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to, to understand. This is not how he intended it to be. That the things in the here and now can have an eternal purpose and not just have an end in and of themselves. I pray that we can see this. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would make us wise and faithful stewards of what has been entrusted to us. However little that we have, help us to be faithful in it. God, if we can't be faithful in the little that we have been given, why would we expect to be given more? And so help us to be a faithful people who use what the, the talents, the time, the money that we have been given by you not to serve our own causes, not to serve ourselves, not to build up our own little kingdom, but to build your kingdom, to invite others to the banquet, to the feast that you have prepared in eternity for those who repent, for those who believe, for those who trust not in themselves, but those who trust in Christ. God, help us to be these people, to be wise, to be faithful, to be stewards of what you have entrusted to us. God, I pray that you would make that happen in each of us and in each of us together as a church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, and we look forward to what we're able to figure out this week about our um, meeting place, hopefully next Sunday. Pray that you have a good Sunday, a restful Sunday.